Podcast. I'm Josh Berger. And I'm Brian Lomax. And on today's episode, we are going to talk about the phrase, focus on the process. It's probably something that you've all heard. Um, but Josh and I want to answer some questions about this because it's, it, it is an important aspect of what we do as tennis players or, or performers in general. So we want to explore what does this phrase even mean? Um, what is the process? How do you do it? Why should we do this? Really, sort of what is the selling point on this? Um, because I remember when I first heard it, and I think we talked about this, Josh, when we had Jeff Greenwald on yep. the podcast. And uh, really, Jeff Greenwald is the one who introduced me to the phrase focus on the process. It was his um, CD, an audio CD that he produced in the late 90s called Fearless Tennis. And kept saying, focus on the process, focus on the process. But I, I either it wasn't there or I missed the part where what the process was. So for a long time, I was like, all right, I think I understand what it means. But I'm not really sure. <laughs> so I'm going to keep trying to focus on the process. But I really didn't know what it was. Um, but then I would say three to six months later, an aha moment came. And I realized what it meant to focus on the process. And it, it really did help change a lot of things, not only with my physical game, but definitely with my, with my mental game. Um, and so I'm curious, Josh, if you recall when you first heard this, this phrase and, and, and perhaps integrated it into what you do. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I can't pin down the exact moment or the exact you know, time, but I, if I had to guess, I think it would probably be with my coach, um, the, the coach I was working with in high school. Um, and, you know, I would have my frustrations from tournaments I would play or particular matches here and there. And my coach would come back to, Hey, this is, we're not playing for this one particular tournament. We're playing, you know, you're trying to improve as a tennis player and it's more of a long-term thing. You have goals. I wanted to play college tennis at the time. Um, so we were trying to build my game, trying to make improvements for me to, you know, ultimately take that next step and pursue that, that goal of mine. So it wasn't about the tournament I was playing that weekend, or it wasn't about the fact that I had just lost, um, or anything like that. It was about, okay, we have a goal in mind and we, there's a process that we're going about in order to get there. And what does that process look like? I mean, you know, we will sure we'll dive into some of the, the pieces, but you know, we're, we're focusing uh, day by day or week by week, really, on the different aspects of my game that need to be improved in, in, in order to get to that next level, in order to achieve those goals. Not only to achieve those goals, but I think also to achieve perhaps the overall, I guess, mission that we all have, which is trying to become the best player that we can become. Absolutely. And that being sort of our journey that we're all going through here. And as you said, if we can separate that out a little bit more as like a project then everything that we're doing is really contributing to us, uh, you know, achieving that, that piece. And there's certainly a process that goes into that piece of things, right? That project, there's a process that goes into how one actually plays a match. There's a process in terms of how one practices. Um, the process is related to goals. Yep. Very, it's, I would say it's really quite, um, interconnected with how we do goal setting or goal achievement 
Um, it actually, I think, helps facilitate a lot of that. Um, but when you think of the process, I guess maybe let's start with, I guess, that long-term piece, right? What, From a tennis player's perspective, what are some components of the process of performance in tennis in, in your mind? Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, I, I start to think of it as incremental gains. So uh, we've talked about habits in the past, um, but it's, okay, can what, you know, how can we get 1% better? Or how can we make small improvements and, you know, small changes ultimately that, that are going to lead to, to big results, to lead to significant results? Um, and, and, you know, part of that process, to me, the way I start to break it down is let's, let's write it all down. Okay, what are, you know, what are you, you can think of it in terms of goals, in terms of, okay, I have this goal to, to be a college tennis player, or I have, you know, or I want to continue improving on my tennis. I want to continue on that path of mastery of excellence. And okay, in terms of getting there, you know, how can, can we break that down into these process goals? Um, and then from there, be as specific as possible, you know, put, putting timetables in place as well. But um, thinking, you know, tying it to that, that goal setting process. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's generally where, where I would start, I would say. And, uh, you know, not being afraid to take small steps because these small incremental gains can lead to much bigger, much bigger results. So one, you know, one step at a time we've talked about, um, if somebody wants to start a new habit, how it's, it's all about starting small. And it's the same if, you know, this, a three Oh player, wants to make that, that leap to become a three, five player. Um, they, they need to be aware of their game, of their strengths and weaknesses. They need to be honest with themselves um, about, you know, the, those areas that they want to improve on, whether those are strengths or weaknesses. We've talked about how we don't want to be neglecting our strengths and only fixated on our weaknesses. Um, but then, you know, breaking down, okay, what if I, you know, if my identity is going to become that of, somebody who is a three, five player, somebody of that level, what does that mean that I need to do, right? Does that mean that I need to, to work on getting my serve to that next level? Does that mean, okay, twice a week, I want to go out there for 30 minutes and serve a bunch of balls. Um, what, what does that, what does that mean? You know, what aspects of my game, is it something to do with my mental game um, that I'm neglecting or not paying as much attention towards? Is it the way I'm reacting uh, to, to points is, am I bringing too much negativity into the following point? Um, am I totally neglecting, um, the, the changeover? Uh, I mean, what is it something to do with my nutrition? Um, I mean, there's, there's all different things that, that can, uh, tie into that process for a particular player. But to me, it all starts with laying, you know, being able to take a hard look in the mirror at times, write it all down in terms of, okay, what, is it gonna? What is it gonna take step by step? Um, and then that—that's that, how I would start to, to to break down that that process, that that term of um, of quote unquote the process with a capital T and a capital P. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I, and I like how you're tying it to goals. I think I myself when I when I did this, I I started it slightly differently. I knew I wanted to be better, but I felt like I needed to like understand the process better. Mm-hmm. or more deeply. And I uh, you know some of the listeners may know my previous career was in software testing. 
And so I have this somewhat engineering analytical mind at times, and I really like writing outlines. Yep. And so I basically came up with components and subcomponents of what I thought the process performance was. And that started off with things like ground strokes, footwork, strength and conditioning, rest and recovery, vision, equipment, uh, communication skills, leadership skills, character, mental game. And, and then all below all those, there were subcomponents of that. And when I first did this, probably almost 20 years ago, came up with a 13 or 14 page outline of all these different things. And then by understanding the process at this deeper level, it helped me figure out, okay, now I can examine, let's say I want to be, we'll take your example. Let's say I'm a 3-0 player and I want to be a 3-5 player. I can look at this outline and say, all right, what does a 3-5 player do here? You know, and so I understand the difference between where I am today in a bunch of different categories and where I want to be. Yep. So it might be, hey, the mental game of a 3-5 player is a little bit better here, here, and here. All right, I need to work on that or the strokes aspect of things. Um, and it just gave me a real um, much more in-depth understanding of everything that went into it. And, and one example I felt like actually made a real difference for me came from something I would not have expected. And it was in the equipment category. And under equipment, one of the things that I had put there was string. I had been using, I would say up to about mid 2005, a relatively cheap print synthetic gun, a nylon string, basically. And I got introduced to a poly string, I want to say mid-2005, Babalat Pro Hurricane. Put it in the racket, and I was like, whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a total game changer. Things just got so much better by changing string. And I was almost like, oh, man, why didn't I know about that, but that was on me. I didn't, you know, dive enough into say that area of the process of performance to get that, that benefit earlier than, than when I got it. Um, so you never know where you may get these incremental gains. I think we talked about this with, with Jeff Greenwald, but, um, British cycling and Sir Dave Brailsford, the idea of, you already mentioned it, marginal gains, 1% gains, but they, they studied, I think, in a very similar way, where are all the places where we could get marginal gains? And some of that came in equipment. Some of it came in, in training, nutrition, whatever. Um, but let's take it from a tennis perspective. Like I made a change in strings and it had an on-court effect. If we had a player keep their tennis training as is, but work on their strength and conditioning, do we think there would be an on-court benefit? Probably. They, they probably, if, if they're just getting even faster, they may be getting to the ball more quickly. They may be retrieving more balls. They may, and maybe by having better footwork, they're more consistent. Strength could add some perhaps spin or power to their strokes. We didn't do anything on the tennis court. We did it all in some other category of the process. And I think um, that's where we bring it back to what you were talking about with the goal setting piece is, all right, let's look at these different areas of the process. Where can we make improvements here that will contribute to 
that goal that you want to hit, whether that be a three, five player or a college player or a pro player, understanding where that next level sort of sits in the process. Like what do they look like there? Then that helps us define the difference between where we are today and where we need to go. Um, so I'd just like to hear your reaction to, you know, that kind of level of understanding on the process. Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot there. Um, I, th- I, I would agree that the different focusing our efforts on um, even, you know, a, a neglected part of the game, like the string, I, I, I think a lot of players um, are in that same category of maybe not thinking as much about the, the string that they're using, or even the rackets they're using. Um, and by, you know, focusing more attention, I think footwork is a, is a really important piece that, um, I, I know with my, myself, I didn't start to, to take that piece seriously until into my college career. I just didn't maybe fully understand it or didn't really understand why it was so important until I started focusing a little bit more on it. And I started to see, Hey, when I focus more on my footwork, I just have so much more time to set up for each shot. Each shot becomes a little bit easier. I sort of thought of it as a way to get around the court rather than a way to set up my shots. Um, But these, yeah, these, these small differences can lead to improvements in other areas. So you're by focusing on your strings, your control might go up or your, your spin could increase. Um, So no, I I think that's, I think that's a great point. And uh, yeah, you brought up the, the British cycling example and it just shows by, you know, by focusing on these different areas in terms of, um, you know, all of these commonly neglected things, these little 1% improvements ultimately add up. I mean, I, I, I think of, uh, I think of the book Atomic Habits and they, they, they show that equation, right? 1.01 to the power of 365 compared to point, I think it's 0.99 to the power of 365. So, you know, 1% better every day versus 1% worse every day. And, it's, I, I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they're, they're nowhere, nowhere close. Yeah. It's, right. it's a little bit of a math trick, but it, it, it sends an important message that if you're getting a little better every day, that those improvements compound. And it's not that, you know, you, by the end of the year, you're not 365% better. It's actually a lot more than that because yeah. each day's improvement compounds with the following days. Um, or with the previous days rather. So um, no, I, I think that's, that's a really important point. Um, to me, it all starts with that awareness piece um, where if, if you don't re- recognize that there's a footwork issue like me as a, as a junior player, then you're not going to be willing to put in that work to make the improvement because you don't think it matters uh, or you don't see the significance, even if maybe there's some importance um, I need to, focus on my forehand or my serve instead. And you're not going to dedicate the time towards that. But if you're aware that, Hey, my footwork is a little too lackadaisical and, and by improving on it, I'm going to have way more time to set up each of my shots. Then you can start to put together the process of improving it. Um, so to me, starting there is a, is definitely a critical piece. Um, and then, you know, being as specific as possible and, and really laying out that plan. So, okay, if it's, if it's footwork, what does that mean exactly? Okay, are we working with our coach a couple of times, you know, once a week on 
putting out cones and we're going to move, you know, hit that forehand and then move around the cone and hit that forehand and go back and forth. Um, are we using the ladder, right, to, to do different footwork drills? Are we watching some videos on YouTube to learn about, um, you know, the different aspects, some of the technical aspects of footwork? What does that process of improving on footwork really look like? Um, so really, really laying that out, being as specific as possible, makes it much more likely to adhere to that. I think you're you, really good point about evaluation of where we are and that, um, well, we have to be willing to evaluate ourselves in an accurate manner yep. um, and also understand the importance of these aspects of, of the process, right? So like you said, if you don't think full work is that important, then you're not likely to, um, to go and, and work on it. Um, so we have to understand, you know, how, how mu all these things really factor in. And so when we start to study the process, it often is helpful to do that with a coach or with a, you know, a sports psych professional who understands the game really well, or, you know, maybe even it's a specialty person within each area of the process. So if we're looking at strength and conditioning may not be me or you, Josh, but it might be someone else who can help do something like that and do more functional training there. Um, the same on nutrition, you know, we, yep. you and I may have some good guidelines, but perhaps working with a sports nutritionist is the right thing to do there. So, you know, different areas, of the process may open up working with different professionals to help with that. And that all depends on what your goals are and how far you want to, to, to take that. Um, but if you even were to look at say the tennis, um, you know, like a ground stroke, we, I think we were talking about this offline as an example. Um, and perhaps what we can do now is bring this back to say daily goals. What, what do we want to work on today? Right. And um, you've probably heard this. I've definitely heard this many times when we're working on, um, you know, a training journal or what are, what are going to be our goals in practice today? And somebody might say, well, I want to, I want to focus on my forehand. I mean, like, okay, that that's good, but I, it's a bit fake. It's a bit high level. What does that, what does that really mean to yeah. you? Is there some specific aspect of the forehand that you're looking to improve? Um, and that could be a lot of different things. It could be consistency, aggressiveness. Um, it could be different directionals down the line, cross court angles, inside out, inside in, maybe attacking the middle third of the court with the forehand. And just by, again, going a little bit deeper, now we give ourselves more specific things that we could focus on, on in practice today. And one thing I like um, about process goals, and this is a story from the book, Toughness by Jay Billis. Jay Billis, a former college basketball player and pro player, former attorney, works for ESPN now as an analyst for college basketball. And I really like his book. It's, it's probably more directed towards basketball than anything, but there's, a, there's stories from all, all different sports. And he talks about um, Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards, who most people probably know as an NFL coach and also an analyst on, on ESPN and other networks. But before all that, Herm Edwards was a defensive back out of Syracuse University, went undrafted when he graduated, um, but signed as a free agent with the Philadelphia Eagles over the summer, ended up making the team and became an all-pro multiple times. And he was asked, why, you know, why did you make the team? How did you become an all-pro? And he said, 
I noticed a difference between me and the guys I was competing with in training camp that summer that I asked myself this question before every practice, what can I get from practice today? All the other guys were asking themselves, how can I get through practice today? And obviously, you know, an NFL training camp in the summer is probably a very difficult thing to get through, but he wanted to understand what he could get from practice. The people he was competing against for a spot in the defensive backfield were just trying to get through practice. Huge difference. But when you think about that, that's really when we focus on the process. That's, that's how we get 1% better, right, Josh, is by actually having this intention about trying to improve at something and picking something that you want to get from practice. So whether we call it a, a process goal or a get from goal, they're kind of the same. We're looking for that, that marginal gain on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I, that's, a, that, that's a great story. And to me, what, what changed there, you know, it, the, the one piece that changed was his mindset, how he viewed the situation, which was vastly different from how everyone else viewed the situation. And that mindset that he had allowed himself to learn from, um, from his surroundings and to improve each and every time he went out on the field. So by shifting his mindset, shifting his perspective on the topic, he was able to, um, to, to get something from each practice, to learn from each practice and make the adjustments. So I, I think that's a, an excellent example of um, making one small change that ultimately you know, leads to, to much bigger results. And it's, okay, how can we learn from every experience that we have? And we know that that's a big part of the improvement process, right? So, um, no, I, I think that's, that's an excellent example. I mean, I, I um, actually would, that, that, that reminds me of, of Novak Djokovic's story, um, which I don't know if we've talked too much about that. Um, but Djokovic for many years was the number three player in the world, consistently number three behind Nadal and Federer. And he writes about this in his book, in fact, but for him, it was actually the nutrition piece. Um, he, his parents, this is actually a funny story. His parents growing up had a pizza place, a pizza restaurant in Serbia. Um, and so he used to eat pizza all the time. And I think in 20, 2011 was his breakthrough year. I think at some point in late 2010, he saw a, some sort of nutritionist and came to the realization that he had a gluten intolerance, he was lactose intolerance, and had a mild, and was mildly allergic to tomatoes. So all three pieces of, of pizza, the three fundamental ingredients to pizza, he at least was allergic to in some form. So he writes about in his book how he, this started his process of um, making that, you know, significant changes to his diet and he had issues with cramping in the past really serious issues to the point where other players would even call him out on it he had to retire from matches but those improvements that he made turned him from a guy who was consistently number three looking up at Federer and Nadal to a player who over the last decade was arguably as more dominant than uh, any other player I would say over the over the last over that decade um, and I think it had a lot to do with those changes he made in his nutrition and that that one piece of the puzzle that he chose to focus on it wasn't the footwork piece 
It wasn't um, any other piece. It was, it all started with that nutrition piece and turned him into a player that is now sitting at, at the time of recording 17 grand slams by the time this episode is released could be, could be 18. So um, that, that one piece of, of his process that that one piece of the puzzle that he changed and he changed his process on the nutrition piece led to a complete transformation. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, like you said, he would have to drop out of matches or cramping. And then he becomes a guy who essentially wins a six hour final against Nadal. Um, Quite the transformation there. So he, yeah, he's a great example. And it doesn't mean he wasn't working on other things, but it just shows you that, having this broader view of what goes into that process of performance, it really is, is quite helpful. Um, so let's talk about why, why should we do this, Josh? Like why, what's the selling point other than, I mean, we've been talking a lot about sort of improvement pieces, but is there a selling point when it comes to winning and losing? Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, to me, the way that I like to think about it is trying to have this long-term perspective. I talked about, um, the conversations I would have with my coach in high school. Um, and, you know, him and I would, would talk about, Hey, it's not about this match or this tournament. We're trying to build you as a better and better player. Um, and it's the, the same thing where if you look at the stock market, for instance, we don't want to just look at today's results and the ups and downs of today. We don't want to look at just the last week, but we want to be able to zoom out and see over three years or five years or 15 years, Okay, what is the general trend of the way things are going? And to me, it, it, it really is the same where we want to be, you know, focusing on doing the little things right, putting, you know, getting 1% better every day, learning new things, making these small improvements that, that might seem insignificant at the time, because when we look back at it three years down the road, six months down the road, it's, it's clear to see all of the improvements. I mean, and, and the, the transformation. Um, there's, there's a great quote that I'm sure I'm going to totally, totally mix up here that is life can only be lived forwards, but it must be understood backwards. So when you look back at things, it's easy to see those changes that, that you make and the impact that, that it has. So by, um, to me, it's okay, let's not just focus on the last week, you know, maybe you're frustrated, you're going through a bit of a slump and, you know, having a tough couple months, whatever it is, we're not just going to focus on that or that one bad day, but let's zoom out a bit. Let's look at how far you've come and let's look at where you want to go and let's focus on how we're going to get there. And to me, that's all about the process. To me, that's all about what are, what needs to be done day by day, week by week in order to get there. We're not going to get fixated on that one tournament, right? Where we blew that lead and lost that match or lost to our friend or whatever it was, double faulted the match away. It doesn't matter long-term. There'll be plenty more matches, plenty more opportunities. Our goal is to become a better tennis player, it's to master the sport, to be, um, you know, to, to reach the highest level that we can. And in order to do that, that's not going to be on focusing on the outcome of each match that's going to be on focusing on the improvement process and i'll i'll take it down like maybe one level here because i think part of the process is also the process of playing a match yep and so this was another outline that i made 
because I wanted to help other players understand not only sort of the bigger process, which I think we've really done a, a pretty good job of covering, like what goes into that. But if you were to lay out what all the little things are that go into the process of playing a match, they could be things like your routines, your breathing, your body language, how you talk to yourself, um, your footwork within a match, game plan or patterns that you want to play, how you do what you do on the changeovers, um, you know, what you might be thinking, what you do with your eyes. And this is another aspect of simply focus on the process. So when you're playing a match, it comes down to those controllables. Everything I just named is controllable behavior. And if you are able to bring excellence to all of those little things in the process, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, the leap of faith we're asking people to make is by focusing on all of those little things, the results will, will come. They will eventually improve as you get better at all of those little things in the process of playing a match. Um, focusing on winning generally just brings about more pressure and anxiety and it becomes a, you know, a cognitive interference when it comes to you playing up to your potential. The more we can reduce that cognitive interference, the more that we can reach our potential. And, and one way to do that is to simply focus on the process of how we play a match. Therefore, we also have to understand that at a deeper level. What goes into that? Do we have routines? You know, do we know what to say to ourselves? Do we know how to react or respond positively after a point? And so to me, that's, that's one of the big selling points of focusing on the process is learning the process of performing in a match and then just focusing on all those little things. Get really good at all of those little things and you'll start to see your, improve, your, your game improve. You'll start to see your results improve. And then that obviously contributes to the rest of your career. Yeah, yeah. As, as you were talking about um, sort of this leap of faith, and on how we want to be focusing on doing the little things right. Uh, it actually, it actually reminded me of our, one of our, our first episodes, episode two with Brian Barker, how you compare two different players and one of them is going to focus on that process of improvement on their character, on being the best person they can be and the best tennis player that they can be. And the other one is going to do that same thing, but they're also saying, yeah, but I need to win. Who's going who's gonna to do better when it comes down to that pressure moment? Which of those players is going to be feeling more pressure? The one that says, um, I'm just going to do the best I can do, um, practice, you know, this is a chance to show off, um, you know, and demonstrate what I've been working on, or that player that's, that really feels like they need to win. And, um, and, I, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's not even close. It's, uh, it, it, there's just a, a huge difference there. So, um, and it's, I, I mean, the other thing to, to mention, at least from my point of view, is that it's it's counterintuitive. Uh, human nature is that we want to focus on our results. Every time we're out there, people are competitive. People tend to focus on winning and think about winning as they're competing. So as you said, Brian, it's that leap of faith that ultimately we're going to perform better as counterintuitive as it is by not thinking about the result by yeah. focusing on how we're going to get there instead of where we're trying to get. I mean, and don't we all want to win anyway? Do we, so do we actually need to think about it? 
I mean, it's, it should somewhat be understood at a certain level. And I've told many of my students, like, I know you're super competitive. You don't need to think about winning. I know you're trying to win. So let's not talk about that. And let's talk about, you know, how we actually get there. Um, one, I, you, you just said something that reminded me of a quote I read today. And this is from a, uh, someone you've quoted in the past, Ken Revisa. You like that. You like him a lot. He's a, um, someone unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago, but he's one of the greats in sports psychology. Um, and he said this, and I think this, uh, I think the idea of fun and enjoyment is, is a part of the process, right? Or it should keep the pleasure of competition greater than the pressure of competition. And it's a great reminder when we're out there that this should be fun. We should be enjoying it. Of course, the nature of the sport is going to throw some, you know, barriers to that. It's going to give you some adversity to deal with, but ultimately that's all about challenging you. And we want to embrace that challenge. And if we can remember that we love tennis and we play it for the pleasure of the game and and improving Um, and that wins and losses don't, we shouldn't really get super attached to that. It's not about the ego. If we can detach our tennis games from really our ego, then it becomes much easier. I think even when you said earlier about evaluating ourselves, because now it's not so much that I'm harming my self-esteem by saying, well, yeah, I'm kind of lazy. I don't have very good footwork. It's just, it is what it is, right? It's part of my tennis project. All right. I need to get better at that. All right. If it's more really important for me to get great, then I need to, to get better at that. So um, yeah, when you were talking about that, it just like, Oh yeah, I got to find this Ken Revisit quote. Cause I just read this today and I thought it was really, really good. And, and that's definitely um, an aspect of the process that we also should emphasize more with players, whether that be because of, um, even some research on just positivity and how positive emotions affect our ability to learn, affect our ability to be creative, affect our ability to want to take risks out there. All really positive things um, as, a, as a result of experiencing more positive emotions, whether that's you know, in a tennis context or, or outside of that. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I think the enjoyment piece is uh... Yeah, well, well, well said there. Um, if if we if you're not enjoying the process of being out there of improving, if you're not enjoying the sport, then from my experiences, you're not going to continue with that sport for long. Yeah. Um, and then there goes any sort of improvement. One of the biggest things I say on court as I'm coaching is the most important. The two most important things are that number one, that you enjoy the sport and that you keep playing it. If you keep playing it and keep, well, if you keep enjoying it, you're going to keep playing it. And when you keep playing, you, you keep playing somehow, some way you improve. So keep getting out there, keep playing and the improvement will come. And I, I think part of it is, you know, you have to enjoy that improvement process. It has to, you know, if it's, if it's all about the outcome and all about where you want to be, then you're not enjoying where you are. You're not enjoying the moment you're not in the moment. Um, so I, I think that's a big piece of it too. And as you were talking about the analysis piece of being able to analyze where your game is right now, I think a big piece of that is um, this non-judgmental piece where we talked about this in our mindfulness episode, 
um, a few episodes back, but um, not attaching these aspects of your game to, and not making that a, a piece of your identity. So if your backhand is weak, not saying, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm so horrible at, at hitting backhands, but instead having a growth mentality of, okay, this is something that I am actively working on improving. Um, so it's b- being able to view things non-judgmentally, not take ownership over them. Um, because if we take, if, if our ego is too much involved, then it can cloud us from actually seeing the fact that our backhand is the weaker side. Um, and it can, and it can stop us from actually making that, that change, that improvement that needs to be made. I think if people want to get even more out of this topic, the TEDx talk that Eric Buderak did about don't dream big is really useful. Um, and yeah, he talked about one of the things that really helped him when he uh, moved to Europe and started to train to be a professional was learning to enjoy the daily struggle of becoming 1% better. And that's what it is. It is a struggle. It's not easy. Um, and we shouldn't expect it to be easy. We shouldn't necessarily even want it to be easy because um, we don't tend to appreciate things that come easy to us. Um, and so I think that that TEDx talk, I, I've had many people watch that very inspiring about how he goes about that. His story is, is, is fantastic. So if you haven't seen that, we'll put a, a link in the show notes for that. It's about 13 minutes, but it's really, it's, it's quite, it's quite good. And, and especially for us as tennis players, a, a fantastic message because he was a division three college tennis player, not your typical, I would say, candidate for becoming a professional. And um, obviously, if you know anything about him, quite a good career, not only on the tennis court, but also as a member of the ATP council. Um, so that that's definitely worth worth watching. Um, and there are many different articles that one can read about these 1% improvements uh, Atomic Habits, that book is, is fantastic as a way of learning to design systems that can help you have these 1% improvements. And I think another aspect that we struggle with as, as, as humans or as tennis players is those 1% improvements aren't necessarily easily seen from day to day. Can't really, so like you know, you and I, Josh, could go out and work on something today and we may not notice it tomorrow. But like you said earlier, three months from now, six months from now, a year from now, we'll notice a huge difference. Um, And so we've got to also trust that process that it will work for us by being that intentional, that deliberate, that purposeful, um, that our games will, will eventually get to where we want them to be. Um, and so I think our message here, you tell me if I'm on the right track, is really understand all the little things that go into performance and start to try to look at areas, evaluate where you are, and, and try to be excellent in some of these areas and see how they can improve your game. May even want to understand whatever that next level is for you. What do they do? And all right, how do I get better at that item? Um, and then if you're in a match, it's simply about just trying to bring excellence to all the little things. 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's an important takeaway um, about bringing excellence into, into each piece. Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes that you, you can do that by being around some of the people that are of that next level or of, um, you know, what you're aiming for um, in, in terms of, you know, we talked about the 3-0 player trying to get to the 3-5 level. Maybe it's, okay, do we, are there some 3-5 players that we can hit with on a regular basis so we can have that, uh, that first, so, so that we can see firsthand what, what they're doing. How do they train? How serious do they take practice? Are they, you know, hitting each ball with a little bit more intention, right? In terms of the direction of the shot, rather than just trying to get the ball in the court, are they moving their feet a bit more? Um, so to me, it's, it's a lot about, um, in, in, in order to learn how to be a three, five hanging around some three fives and seeing how they operate on a daily basis can, can make that a lot easier. Yeah. And I think maybe the last thing I would like to hit on that I think could help facilitate this even more is the idea of establishing some sort of reflective practice. Mm -hmm. So being able to set goals, whether that, you know, like a player journal, writing down some things you want to focus on, but then after practice, reflecting on how you did with those things. And they could be simple things where you just rate them one to 10 on your goals. You could do a little extra writing about what went well, what needs work. Um, or you may even go a little bit further and come up with some variables, some performance variables that you know are important to your daily performance. And it could be, you might want to measure where your confidence was today, where your intensity was, um, your energy levels, where were they? Um, your focus, you may come up with a list of different things. I know I have a, uh, a set of performance variables that I share with students sort of when I begin to work with them, it's about 13 things, but then we change it based on who they are. It's sort of a starting point. Like we, you know, you and I do with a lot of different things. We give people a framework to start with and then we tailor it to who they are. Um, and it has things on there like, you know, confidence, focus, intensity, energy levels, routines, et cetera. Um, and it gives you a very simple way of just measuring, you know, one to 10 or, zero to a hundred. How did I do with that today? Did I bring some awareness to that, et cetera? Um, and just by having that reflective practice makes the idea of going 1% better each day a little bit easier because you mentioned this earlier, Josh, how do we carry forward the lessons of today? If we don't actually take time to understand what the lessons of today were. And that's, I think a gap typically is, we go, we practice, we leave, we may do the stretching, the foam rolling, getting some protein, but there's um, not necessarily kind of a data dump of what just happened there so that I can have maybe even better goals for tomorrow. No, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I think um, as, a, as it relates to a reflective practice, I think um, for tennis players, the, the, the two pieces are um, reflecting on our training um, and okay are we doing everything that we want to do day in day out in, in order to achieve those goals in order to you know reach those heights that we want to achieve as a tennis player um, or whatever those you know wherever we're trying to get um, and then there's also reflecting on our matches um, maybe we're trying to become better competitors or more match tough or whatever it is 
and being able to reflect on that performance and on that competition, on that particular match or tournament or whatever it was, so that we can learn from it, right? So that that process of becoming a better competitor or of, um, you know, being more mentally tough in high pressure moments becomes a lot easier when you've reflected on it, when you can non-judgmentally, again, um, look at that experience and draw some conclusions. Think about, okay, what would we have done differently? What did we learn from this? What did we do well? What did we not do so well? Um, so that we can make those improvements. If we, if we never reflect on it, uh, how can we really expect to, to improve? So um, to me, it's, you know, we can break that down into reflecting on the practice process and the training process and also on our competition. Yeah. So what would be the takeaway or one or two takeaways, Josh, for the audience that you would like to kind of end this with? Um, I would say two things. I would say number one, trust. Um, I, I know it's part of that, that phrase, the trust, the process phrase, but I think the trust is, is an important one because you don't see the improvements every day. So you have to have some faith that this is going to lead somewhere. Um, in, in order to, to, to keep with it. So that's part of it. And, and number two, that, that improvement is gradual. It is 1% better. It is not, it's not trying to get 50% better on a, on a given day where if we're working on, if I'm working with a player on their serve, they shouldn't expect to learn a new, to learn the kick serve and be able to perform it well on that first day. And it's the same with, if we're trying to make those 1% improvement, 1% improvements on any aspects, right? It, it takes time, it's gradual, but if we can zoom out, if we can look back six months down the road, three years down the road, however long down the road, you can see all the dividends of putting in that, that time and making those, those improvements. So I would say that the, the, the trust and the faith piece is important, that it is leading somewhere. And that also um, that these small, that we're working on these small gradual gains that ultimately compound and ultimately lead to, to more significant changes. Yeah. What about I you? Guess, yeah. So I think the thing, I'll leave it with, um, you know, the process of playing a match. And the, again, the trust, the process piece, the leap of faith we're asking you to make is to simply focus on doing all the little things well in a match, yep. regardless of what happens. So if your opponent hits a shot that hits the top of the net and dribbles over, you need to maintain your standards on all the little things. Great body language, how you respond to that, how your self-talk. You have to be able to stay focused on all of those little things and doing them well, regardless of what is going on around you and within the match if you can do that if you can stay and focus on all those controllables and bring excellence to that you will learn to perform better overall rather than than becoming distracted by things like results or or other things going on around the court um, and i think that that can be a really powerful aspect of focus on the process when we play all right. So that's our show for today. Thank you all for listening. For more on today's show, please check out the show notes. If you have any feedback or questions for Josh and me, please email us at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com. 
you can also use the Twitter hashtag TennisIQ. Additionally, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. And check us out on Instagram for new episode notifications there. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.